0: Welcome to Midday Magazine for Wednesday, December twenty for Thursday, December 29th. I'm Jordan Lewis. Many residents in Petersburg lost power yesterday for two hours. The power went out at 3 p.m. for all of Southeast Alaska's power agency, or SEPA, Circuit 62. That includes Petersburg's downtown, the airport, and the hospital. Power and Light Utility Director Carl Hagerman says that his team heard of a report from the public that a transformer had blown in the Tonka Seafoods area, of the Midcoff Highway. We responded and, and looked around for uh, damage or any other indication that there was an issue and the, and the line crew did not find anything. Power and light still doesn't know exactly what went wrong. Hagerman says there were a number of small complications that made it hard to restore power.
1: It was a weird one because it, it tripped off uh, the, the breaker, the SEPA breaker for Circuit 62, which is the obviously the, the breaker that feeds uh, the downtown area, uh, the core of Petersburg, on up to the airport and over to the hospital. And when that goes down and the hydro is down, we have fewer resources to to restore uh, that circuit. And so it, it just, it takes a little longer, but we had several small issues that that slowed us down.
0: Hagerman says they were able to restore hydroelectric power slowly with the help of the Scal Bay Generator up slowly um, with uh,
1: um, Tyee Lake operators helping us out with uh, with the Tyee project. We brought up a a diesel, uh, our scout bay generator,
0: to help support the restoration process. Now that Petersburg is back on hydroelectric power, Power and Light can investigate what went wrong.
1: More research and, and uh, into exactly what went wrong and uh, trying to figure out if there's any repairs or if there's a component that failed, um, things like that. Small things can add up to be big things sometimes.
0: All of Petersburg was back on hydroelectric power as of 5 p.m. yesterday. Jeff Rice just took a new position managing sport fishing for Petersburg and Wrangell. Rice is not new to Petersburg, but it's a new role for him. KFSK sat down with Rice in his old office at Petersburg's Fish and Game to talk about what he hopes to bring to the new position.
2: Originally, I moved here in 2004. I was um, I had already been in fisheries for some time, but I was coming out of the Peace Corps, and um, I had been out of the country for a couple of years. I was looking to get back to Alaska. I would lived in Alaska before, but up in Homer and Valdez and some other areas, And I had a friend here in Petersburg who I'd visited here before, but he said, you should come try this out. So I moved here, and I expected to be here for a short period of time. It turned into, I got a job with the Halibut Commission here in Petersburg, which um, kind of led me through my first couple years. And then I moved into the job here with Fish and Game that I was in. And then I um, started dating my wife, and we got married, and then we had a child, and we had bought a house, and one thing led to another, and here I am 20 years later. How does this new position differ from your previous one? My previous position was with the Division of Commercial Fisheries, and I ran the port sampling program here, so we were going down, and for all the commercial landings that occur in Petersburg and in Wrangell, a group of people who worked on my project would interview the fishermen, um, take a look at their catch, do some biological sampling on their catch, and that information was used by the managers here at Fishing Game in order to, uh, you know, um, decide openings, closings, all the information they would use to manage the fishery. My new position as the uh, area management biologist for Petersburg for sport fish is in the division of sport fish and um it is completely different than my old position so I am in my new position I'm um trying to deal with uh, the sport fisheries exclusively which is uh for for this area which is involves um everything from Ensuring that there is a allowable catch for the sport fisheries and managing on that within that level and answering people's questions about where to fish, when to fish, um, and uh, encouraging people to get out and sport fish whenever possible. How did you get into your new position? I've been working in my prior position for 18 years, and the opportunity came up for this new position opening and it sounded like something that might present a new challenge for me. After spending 18 years here in this office and understanding everything about commercial fisheries for quite some time, it's very interesting to sit in the same office and not really know anything about the the job I'm currently in. I'm in a brand new job, but in exactly the same place. So it's going to offer some new challenges and I look forward to those. What do you hope to bring to the new position? Well, I hope to um, encourage people to fish here in Petersburg, Wrangell, Cake, the the area. I have been an avid sport fisherman my whole life. I enjoy fly fishing. I enjoy fishing out of our boat there, and we go out and me and my family. We go out and we fish for basically everything, halibut, uh, salmon, all of that, and we get a lot of joy out of fishing as a family, and I want to encourage others to do that and have an experience, an Alaskan experience, whether you live here or whether you're coming up to fish up here. I have a lot of friends and family who have visited over the years and have enjoyed introducing them to sport fishing, and I'd like to
0: help others to do the same thing. That was Fish and Games' Jeff Rice talking with KFSK about his new position managing sport fishing for Petersburg and Wrangell. The Eight Bridge Project over the Good River near Gustavus has finally drawn to a close. It's part of a national fish fish passage program that received $40 million in the last year's federal infrastructure law. As Coast Alaska's Angela Denning reports, the project in southeast Alaska should help juvenile fish maneuver through the waterway.
3: The land around Gustavus doesn't stay still. It's constantly rising from what's known as isostatic rebound. Basically, as a nearby glacier retreats, the pressure on the land lessens and it rises. The land in Gustavus is rising faster than anywhere else in the world, about an inch a year.
1: And It's been doing that for 200 and whatever years.
3: Since the mid-1700s, to be more precise. Mike Halbert is a longtime fishing guide in Gustavus.
1: I've been fishing there for 30 years, so three, four, or five feet of difference. And, and you can see it on charts since it was charted in the 60s.
3: The rising land is one reason the federal government spent the last decade fixing eight bridges over the Good News River and its tributaries. The funding comes from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's National Fish Passage Program, which received $3.5 million for Alaska projects in the bipartisan federal infrastructure law. The Good River runs from Glacier Bay National Park to icy straits. In recent decades, while the land continued to rise, so did the metal culverts. But the streams kept cutting into the land, causing the culverts to overhang the water. That's a problem when they're home to salmon, Dolly Varden, and cutthroat trout.
1: If the uh, water was where it came out of the culvert, if it was creating a waterfall, they considered it a hindrance for the, uh, the young coho to move upstream. They'd be reluctant to jump unlike the adults.
3: Halbert says the Good River doesn't have a lot of fish in it. It isn't nearly as big as the nearby Salmon River where most locals and tourists go. The Good River is small and runs along roads, past town, and through a mudflat. Another local fly fishing guide, Natalie Vax, says mostly kids fish the Good River for salmon and trout. Kids catching cutthroats and dollies and pinks and silver on that little covert side ditch thing on the side of the main road. There are a few spots where sometimes fish do gather The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service hopes the new bridges will allow more fish to spawn in the smaller stream. U.S. Assistant Secretary of the Interior Shannon Estenos oversees fish, wildlife, and parks. These projects are all about kind of what the name suggests. Removing barriers to flow, removing barriers to fish passage, um, often updating either outdated or malfunctioning infrastructure that are impeding fish passage. Estinos is a civil engineer. She says when engineers are designing infrastructure like culverts and bridges, they can't always predict what will happen decades later. Sometimes the material fails or outlives its useful life. But the fish passage projects aren't just about saving fish, she says. They often fix multiple problems at once. Um, I'm finding if I'm traveling across the country that we might be helping fish, but we're often also improving flood protection or we're making it safer for folks to paddle the river to, you know, um, fish on the river as well. And apparently this has been a, an ancillary benefit to the good river. Fishing guide Mike Halbert doesn't see the local bridges making much difference for his industry, but he says it's a huge improvement for traffic across the waterways. And he says it's also provided jobs for road workers building the bridges.
1: Obviously, the people that are working on the construction of a big benefit.
3: The infrastructure law included $600,000 for the Good River's final bridge. The entire fish passage project totaled $1.76 million. Other fish passage projects in Alaska that received federal infrastructure funding included $1.3 million for the Little Tonsina River in the Valdez Cordova Borough and $1.6 million for the Tyonic Creek on the Canine Peninsula. In Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning.
0: The holidays were hectic for millions of Americans traveling to see loved ones or at least to see a change of scenery over the weekend. That frenzy extended to Alaskans, with many having their flights in hub airports like Seattle and Portland canceled. Alaska Public Media's Wesley Early has more. Twas the night before Christmas
4: Eve and Michael Mahmoud was planning to visit his girlfriend's family in Denver for the holidays. He drove up from Seward to Anchorage then he got an alert. His flight from Seattle to Denver was cancelled. He went to the Anchorage airport anyway and saw the customer service line.
1: There was just a line that went from the stations all the way to the end of the airport and it hit the back wall and it was starting to curve. So I just walked out. <laughs>
4: Soon after his flights to and from Seattle were canceled, Mahmoud got put on another flight for the next night. That flight was also canceled, and he was rebooked again on a different airline. However, that flight, too, was canceled.
1: The next available flight that the app showed me was until today at midnight, so right before midnight, so tonight. But I didn't want to be in Anchorage all through Christmas and yesterday. So I just drove home because I knew the weather was going to be bad and so I drove home Saturday night.
4: Tens of thousands of travelers like Mahmud had their travel plans disrupted over the holiday weekend. Airlines canceled thousands of flights, mainly due to winter storms that caused havoc across the lower 48. Anchorage-based travel consultant Scott McMurrin described it as a, quote, perfect storm hitting the Pacific Northwest.
1: You had uh, ice, snow,
4: some freezing rain, and some wind coming through. Uh, in Seattle, and Portland, and even here in Anchorage. While most delays occurred in airports in the lower 48, McMurrin says there were also weather issues in Anchorage, leading to several flights getting rerouted to Fairbanks instead. Trudy Wassel, deputy director at the Ted Stevens Anchorage International Airport, says weather concerns in Anchorage included high winds and blowing snow, but the airport itself was better off than some in the lower 48.
3: The good news is the airport never closed We have amazing operations, facilities, and airfield maintenance crews that kept this airport open and available for flights to land and take off.
4: The Seattle-Tacoma Airport wasn't so lucky, with several runways closing for hours over the weekend. Kyle Potter, executive director of travel and flight deal website Thrifty Traveler, describes the weekend as one of the most hectic travel seasons on record and the number of flights canceled as quote, unprecedented.
1: We can safely say that this is one of, if not the single worst airline meltdown that we've seen. You know, certainly within the last decade, but probably ever.
4: Potter says one of the biggest culprits for hectic travel nationwide was Southwest Airlines, which canceled thousands of flights a day over the weekend. He says Alaska Airlines, the major air carrier for the 49th state and the Pacific Northwest, was a little less hectic, but there were still many cancellations. Alaska
1: Airlines has been, you know, struggling. You know, they've canceled 10 to 20 percent of their flights um, yesterday and again today.
4: Potter says he anticipates these types of issues continuing in the future as airlines work to fill high flight demand after shrinking their workforce during the pandemic. Reporting in Anchorage, I'm Wesley Early. For KFSK, I'm Jordan Lewis.